Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. The Around the NFL Podcast. Release the tapes, Greg! <laughs> From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio. Everybody wants it. Why won't you just give the people what they want? Don't have it. It's around the NFL. <laughs> I am Dan Hansa, Scott Heroes here, Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler, and back in the fourth chair, the dude, Patrick Claybon. What's up, bud? What's up, guys? Good to be Love here. It. Good to be here with you. It's great. Good Con- to have you. Connie was supposed to be back this week, but she got pulled into a type of nefarious Park <laughs> Avenue event. Why is it nefarious? Well, I mean, what is she? She's hosting <laughs> some sort of mysterious event in the Big Apple. If it's co- if it's costing our show a Connie Fox Wednesday, it's That's nefarious true. to me. Yeah, it's not costing it. What? Well, sure. We we've got a whole different show, Claybon Wednesday. Well, let, let me transition to that cell, <laughs> Mr. Contrarian. Yes, we don't have Connie, but the fact that we can have Patrick here is even oh well, thanks, guys. What a blessing! Not that you were a backup. No, but we had announced fine. previously Colleen would be here, so right. it'd be weird just all of a sudden Patrick is here instead. We've got an incredible stable, <laughs> and we're just we're versatile, and Patrick proves We keep that. it pretty tight in terms of who's in the regular fourth chair. It's a, it's a hallowed spot. It's Playing the role of Colleen Wolf today is Patrick Clayton. <laughs> so it's <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, Patrick uh, theme song. I think it's time. Do we have any? Have any been sent in? Do we have any Patrick? I don't have any Patrick. Oh, we can put out a formal request. All right. Right. Here's, here's, a, for, here's yeah. a formal request. Let's Hit up go. our vibrant Gmail account. Yeah, what is the <laughs> Gmail account? Is it is it the ATN? I think it's the ATN podcast. Right, let me. Ch- you know what? <laughs> Everyone, <That's> <laughs> I should probably there's, know. There's literally like an Abbey Road of it's Patrick Claybon so songs yeah. just being sent to the wrong email address. <laughs> All right. While while our producer Eric works on that, we have some breaking news that landed just as we we're about to start, and that's the way I like it. Because too many times we get banged the other way. We finish recording and then. Oh, Pete Carroll got fired. Mm. Well, not this time. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are moving on uh, from Pete Carroll as their head coach, reported by the Pell Razor and elsewhere. Uh, he 
as of right now, the way it's being spun, and there's a press conference coming up later today, uh, Carroll will remain in the organization, but not as the head coach. So Pete Carroll, who has had an incredible run in Seattle, 14 years, which, you know, in the NFL, that's you might as well say 100 years, uh, 137 and 89 and one record. That's a, over a 600 winning percentage. Uh, coached 19 playoff uh, games. Wow. Went to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. Very nearly. We don't need to litigate this, but very nearly went back-to-back Super Bowl championships. But that was one of the most memorable teams of this century, the Legion of Boom Seahawks with Russell Wilson and that incredible defense. Uh, he is now 72 years old, Greg Rosenthal. And uh, you had been kind of poking around on this one for a week or so. Sessler and I were trying to figure out who he was texting with with those thumbs. I mean, it's a short list of candidates, right. but we didn't know. Probably exactly. Ian. But, Greg, you say, because I had mentioned it again this uh, before we started taping, to you it was common sense. There was It was more about putting a puzzle together. On that was that, that, I had no information. I was <laughs> trying to find out what people would say behind the scenes. What do you think, Ian, by the way, when he gets a Greg text? What is Ian's first reaction? Excitement? He's um, absolutely overjoyed because it's uh, it's the connection is very rich. It's very story. I'm so freaking jacked. I'm so freaking jacked. I think he has no feelings whatsoever, just like all of his other That's interactions. Um, and I love him for it. He's a defensive coach and the defense has been bad for seven years. They're, they're stuck in this Middle ground where you could argue, well, their floor is very high with Pete Carroll, but maybe their ceiling's very low with Pete Carroll. And that the things he said he's going to solve year after year, like, aren't getting solved. He's been cycling through defensive coordinators. He's putting a lot of resources in that. And who knows? I love that they are announcing it as an amicable agreement that his role will, quote, evolve to remain with the organization as an advisor. We maybe aren't going to get the full story on that or, or no, and I don't really care. Like, they, they're both grown-ups here, and he is walking away with class. He's going to have a press conference afterwards, which is, is not always the case, uh, certainly, uh, with a coach that's let go. And he's a legend there, and he deserves to be treated. And maybe he really is just wanting to walk away. There was some whispers about that, too. I'm curious, like, who is making this decision exactly? Obviously, it's Jody Allen to start with, but I think if John Schneider... The GM, who has been there as long as Pete Carroll and also has a Super Bowl title, is still there to help hire the next head coach. And if that the next head coach is Dan Quinn, which about 17 different NFL insiders have already put out there, is the prime candidate. uh, And that maybe this is part of it is that they feel like they're in a window here where the coach that they want is going to be available. We want to take him before he goes anywhere else. If Schneider is still there, that will tell me maybe it is a little bit more of a, a push-out situation. But either way, one of the best head coaches I've, I've seen in the NFL. And I guess, like, you know, if, if it came down to some version of a power struggle, a soft power struggle, I mean, Pete Carroll won the power struggle essentially over Russell Wilson. And that was the last big sort of battle there. Um, it, you know, if you're working coach and GM, for this long, as long as they did, and they made it work, um, it's natural that a relationship's going to start to wear down at some point professionally. And so, I mean, it was Pete, it was Pete Carroll that just a couple days ago said pretty clearly, I want to come back and coach this team. So something changed over the past couple of days, but he's not a young guy, although he seems his energy is very young. Um, like, you know, maybe this is a natural part of Pete Carroll that's open to this 
Next he, step. And he's also very good with the media. And I don't think I've smart. ever interviewed a coach that I liked better, honestly. Oh, yeah. I love Carroll, too. Like, he's incredible. I remember being on the rooftop in downtown L.A. for a charity event the year they drafted Russell Wilson. And, and I'll never forget, like, he was very nice dude and, and open about how much he loved Wilson. And and my mom, obviously, is a big fan of Pete Carroll. Right. Dating back to his Jets days. But he, he think, said it. He thinks he's hot. She thought he was extremely. <laughs> he's attractive. okay with that. He's very secure. I, my father is very secure about yeah the marriage, yeah. Um, but Pete is yeah That's someone too. It's good they don't like exist in the same. It's his number one circle. competition. Right. Let's just hope my dad doesn't want Pete coming east. Put it that way. <laughs> but when Pete says uh, Patrick uh, the other day, he's like, oh yeah, I'm not worried about anything. Like Pete knew what was going on behind the scenes, and he was. That was just the answer he gave. Well, and, and I also think it, it's it's one of those situations where he's telling you before everybody else tells you that if something changes regarding my coaching status with the Seattle Seahawks, it was not a decision of mine. Mm. Right. When he says like, I love my job. I love sure. this team. He did acknowledge that he needed, he said he needed to do some things better. I, I get, it's a similar question with a lot of these coaching changes that the Chicago bears are better on third down on offense and defense on Sunday. It, are, are the Seahawks still making a change at the head coaching position well, like at the week. end of the season? Well, not this <laughs> week, right? But is this like a scenario where it's like, ah, oh, you know, this has to be it with Pete Carroll. The direction doesn't. Right. If they don't lose the tie break, they literally have the same record as, yeah. as the Packers. So, I, I, again, it's, it's one of those things. Like, is this a, is this a real long-term decision? Like, but, but as Greg pointed out, there have been long-term problems in trying to get solutions to them. And Pete hasn't made able to find them. So like, what's, What's changing in here, order to get those? Things. Here's what I'm fascinated by: the idea of, okay, if he's going upstairs and into some type of nebulous role or an active role, I don't know what it would be, but if it's more like a Bruce Arians with the Bucks type situation, is Pete ready to go into the sunset? I now he's 72 and he's the oldest coach in the league, and uh, obviously uh, you don't see many coaches go this far. Um, but you know, listen, the president of the United States is 81. Uh, like, does I wonder what his market would be if indeed this went in a different direction? Uh, are there teams that want uh, Pete Carroll? Would he be a hot and demand name, whether it was this year or maybe a year from now? That is interesting. To I me. mean, you hmm. could pull like a Al Pacino end of any given Sunday and wind up somewhere else because his age to me has nothing to do with the Pete Carroll that we know. Like, I don't care that he's 72. I mean, check out that. What was that dramatic win they had? What week 16 in prime time? Uh, the guy looks like he's 48 years right. old. He's so chipper and exactly. spry and he loves what he's doing. I just, something that that doesn't compute about this, that he's going upstairs. I don't, we'll see. Me, yeah. I I'm with you because yeah, if that Cowboys game had gone a little differently, if that Rams game, which I really feel like was the turning point for both those teams, not a memorable game, but a game that the Seahawks really outplayed the Rams and kind of step stubbed their toe at the very end coming out of the Rams by. I think that got the Rams to like four and six, five and six. And and the Seahawks had started their tailspin because their schedule got so much harder. They could have made the playoffs. He's still a very good head coach. It's interesting to look back at his at his run. He doesn't get the pub Mike Tomlin does because he did have that seven and ten season in Russell Wilson's last year. But otherwise, they've had a winning record every year since 2012. And you think, wow, they never got back to those heights when they made those back-to-back -back Super Bowls. Uh, but they did win 10 games, 10 games, 9, 10, 11, 12. They sneaky underperformed in the playoffs, which is very frustrating when you're a very good team. And like Mike McCarthy's Packers know this too. 10 playoff appearances, seven divisional round appearances, 
Uh, but they actually never made it back even to a conference championship after that lost Super Bowl to the Patriots. So it was a lot of one and done or win a wild card and lose. And I, I think where he, he strikes me as young, you know, emotionally, but maybe not as young in terms of like schematically. Is he keeping up with what you needed to do defensively and offensively to stay stay at the top? I think the place Pete can add value the most might not be in Seattle anymore. Like they've, they've already told him that, hey, <laughs> we would like you to do less. Right. You, and I think we just saw Bob Myers go over to the commanders. Like if, if you can bring in Pete Carroll in a situation to say, hey, how do we go about this process? How do we construct a team? How do we align uh, the general manager and the head coach? I think Pete Carroll could do that somewhere else better than he can in Seattle. Also, it should be stated he was fantastically successful in college as well. Is that a world he would like to go back to? Although that's even kind of more work with the recruiting and all that. You mentioned the other thing, Greg, the, except for the, the last Wilson year, also doing it in the NFC West. There's been some juggernauts in that division through the years and, and to be able to continually be in the mix, uh, you know, it's going to another guy that's going to be hard to replace. I totally agree. But I also think that was part of the reason they've we're started to probably think about this because McVeigh and Shanahan have owned the Seahawks yeah. offensively for five years. Yeah. Now. So it's like, why do, are we going to expect this to change? That's and pretty it, tough though. Cause I know, no, I get it. But the two best minds in the sport. I, I get it. Yeah. It's just that probably led to it that we're like stuck in, in well, third. There is another team in so far that is currently looking for a head right. coach. If oh Pete would love it down here, Got I would some, just he has LA roots. I would yeah. hire him as just like a guy to be around the team because yeah. one thing Mark Sanchez was really good talking about this, but then I started listening to Seahawks players talk about this too. Like no one made you feel better and gave you more confidence that you could do any that you could be your best self essentially than Pete Carroll. Like he Sanchez and Geno's talked about this too. Makes you feel like I'm gonna do it. Like and you want to play for him. And I, I think this is a um, a bad news for uh, Gino, their starting quarterback, and makes me think it's more likely that they that was Gino's biggest change supporter. everything. I think he really yeah. loved Gino. I think that it, it was it went both ways. He believed in Gino in a way that who knows if if the next coach is going to be. So there could be a lot of changes. All right, so Carol, there's a bombshell right there. Another bombshell on Tuesday when the Tennessee Titans. Fired Mike Vrabel, uh, Rap Sheet reported it, and then uh, it was confirmed in a statement from Amy Adams-Strunk uh, that Vrabel, the coach of the Titans for the past six seasons, uh, leading the team to a 54-45 and record and two playoff victories, including an AFC title game appearance, uh, is out. Uh, and a lot of questions about why this happened, why it wasn't a trade, why... The Titans would disconnect from, you know, one of the more successful coaches of the past decade. And it's only fitting, gentlemen, if we're going to be talking a little tytoons in a big spot that we bring in a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Fame producer. He's on Mount Rushmore. Do I need to say his name? How about I just play the drop? Everybody, yeah. hey, Justin is. Graver joins us from Parts Unknown. Well, it's actually his office, and there it is, my favorite, the rotating Titans helmet that's going just a little too fast. What's up, buddy? How you been? I've been great, guys. How, how are y'all doing? I'm over at Fox Sports producing the NFL on Fox podcast nowadays, but Ooh. I miss you guys every day. Wait, 
the NFL on Fox podcast? That's right. We, we didn't know you were competing with us. We thought you were just doing baseball, <laughs> All Justin. Right. Um, well, it was nice having Justin on the show. Until next time. <laughs> Grave Digger. All right, Grave Digger. That's great because you are obviously um, wonderfully suited for anything involving NFL coverage. You have your Titans podcast, which is called what? The Music City Audible. So make sure you check that out. And I am sure you had an emergency episode to break this down. What were your initial thoughts uh, when the news went down that Vrabel was out? How surprised were you? And what do you think about the state of the organization in general? Yeah, I think it was a bit surprising. I would give my, I would put it at like a 7 out of 10 surprise rating because there's been a lot of smoke surrounding what Vrabel possibly being traded to the Patriots. I think dating back to him being inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame, we've seen a lot of reports that the Patriots would want to go after him. Would Mike Vrabel want to force his way out? The Titans don't want to move on from Mike Vrabel, but would he want to force his way out and, and move on himself? And it seems like maybe some of that was overblown and We've heard a lot of about stuff about a rift between Vrabel and general manager Rand Carthon. Rand Carthon dismissed all of that in his press conference yesterday. And Naturally. Said he and Vrabel were on great terms, of course, right? What else is he going to say? He's going to help Vrabel land the, the next job and not kick his buddy while he's down. But I did find it very interesting that it seems this all has, has come more from a, a rift between he and ownership, between he and Amy Adams Strunk. We have Nashville media members citing blowups between Vrabel and ownership that are seem very interesting. And I think all of this is more about what's happening behind the scenes than anything Vrabel did on the field. And granted, 6-18 and 18 in his last 24 games, 1-5 and five in the division this year, those are things that can get a head coach fired. But I think that Mike Vrabel proved himself to be a great coach to always sort of play above the level of talent that he was working with, especially the injury-ravaged 2021 season. So for those reasons, it is a surprise because we thought Vrabel was a good coach for the Titans. But Amy Adams-Strunk cited a, a wanting an innovative fresh approach at the head coaching position. And there's been a lot of talk that Vrabel didn't align with the vision of the future of this team. And I don't really know what that means because Rand Carthon <laughs> was asked multiple times, what is the vision? And he said, we'll tell you when, when it's time to tell you. And Amy Adams trunk said, we're not going to define that vision right now, but we do have one. And it, it all feels a little bit messy for sure. But I do think, you know, on the positive bias side, this could play out well for the Titans. If you look at some of the the quicker rebuilds in the NFL over the last few years, you know, Sean McVay turning the Rams around quickly, Dan Campbell in Detroit, Mike McDaniel in Miami. But then there's the flip side, the the Brandon Staley's that you're really excited to hire when it happens. And three years later, everyone's calling for his head. So I think this could go OK or it could be a major disaster. <laughs> and if it proves to be a major disaster, I think you have to point to ownership making a, a rash decision here. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about Strunk here. You know, there, there was that whole season where malarkey made it to the playoffs they said they were going to keep him and and then they met they, they literally said we talked contract with him and then they met and then they fired him and then they gave robinson and vrabel an extension after 21 and then they fired robinson 10 months later which led to carthon being thrown in here and i did wonder all season like why are these reports coming out and Sometimes it's hard not to connect the dots. Vrabel has more friends in the media than any coach, I feel like, since Jeff Fisher. And it felt like maybe that was coming from his side, that maybe he wanted to get out. And from her side of it, you can look at it like he seemed to have some issues with two GMs. And that's part of the job is like being on the same page. And he clearly wasn't happy about the A.J. Brown trade. 
and that was the old GM, and now the new GM. So may, maybe even though he is a good coach, and I think he is a good coach, he'll get a job. Like maybe it was time because it wasn't happening there. A lot of drama. Yeah, there's some of that, uh, and there's a connection here, Sestog, between uh, Vrabel and Belichick, and Belichick is connected to Parcells, and I bring this up because when Parcells left the Patriots, it was, uh, if you want me to cook the dinner, you got to let me shop for the groceries. I think Vrabel feels like at this point in time that he should be the guy running the operation, and and clearly uh, Strunk uh, was going in a a different direction. The fact that you had a GM and an arranged marriage that clearly they didn't hit it off. And ownership seems to have sided with this uh, GM who hasn't succeeded at all, hasn't had much of a chance yet, whereas Vrabel has. That's where I would get a little noivous as a Titans fan about the decision-making. Yeah, and Graver, I mean, I'll never forget the night when we were in Las Vegas during the draft and the bombshell came down, as Greg mentioned, that A.J. (laughs) Brown was traded and you immediately started to do a live uh, feed about the whole thing, but you you were shell shocked by that move, and I think crestfallen, and that dates back. That's to me the the origin of the offense falling apart. Yeah, um, they never found in, in to the point of getting groceries and helping Vrabel succeed. The offense has been a disaster for two seasons. Um, they aren't dynamic the way that other teams are in the AFC, and it's like he. I feel like the frustration that he showed that night, and the frustration he's felt since. That makes sense that he's behind the scenes blowing up and not getting his way. And, and I think a parting makes is less surprising when you start to put all those pieces together. Gravedigger, I just want to thank you again. You've always, you always kept us young on our show. A very Zoomer move to go into a live stream during the middle of our <laughs> it show was there. That, impressive. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Well, just to you know, clarify what happened there, Ricky started the live stream and shoved the phone in front of my face and said, talk. <laughs> that checks out but, as well. <laughs> but yes, that was a fun, fun night for Titans fans. No, it's crazy. You look at the Titans offenses that didn't have A.J. Brown under Mike Vrabel. They all finished 27th best or worse in terms of like scoring offense. So was A.J. Brown that big of a piece of the puzzle there? Is there some, I think part of this whole new direction that Amy Adams Strunk wants to go in this vision is sort of to get away maybe from the the bully ball style of football that Mike Vrabel preached. And, you know, we're going to out physical you as opposed to out scheme you is maybe a little bit old school mindset and looking at some of the, the most successful offensive coordinators in today's scheme, today's football. Yeah, they're running schemes from the, the late 90s, the Shanahan scheme, but they're doing so in a way that, that sort of attacks their opponent's weaknesses. And I always felt like the Titans under Mike Vrabel shied away from that. It was more about, we're going to play our style of ball. Like we don't care that the team we're playing against has a top ranked run defense and a bottom ranked pass defense. We're going to set establish the run so we can run play action off of it and sort of ignoring the, the more new school ideas of like, you don't necessarily need to be successful on the ground to have a strong play action game. Like you, you create that, that action in the backfield linebackers are going to flow downfield, whether or not you've been gashing them. And I, I think that's where some of this is going again, not necessarily like him as a coach, as a developer, as a person who can connect to players, because I think he is all of those things. But when it comes to being more innovative and fresh minded and not trying to get a lead at halftime and then sit on it, but put your foot on the throat of your opponent, keep scoring points the way that the teams like the 49ers and the Dolphins do when they're having success. I think that's where this this all sort of stemmed from was. Did Vrabel want more control? There's conflicting reports that he did. Other people are saying that he actually asked Amy Adams Strunk to hire someone, a, a general of football, like a, a football operations president type of person that Czar. would be above him and Rand Carthon, mm. that they would both answer to one person as opposed to answering to the owner. So I don't know if he necessarily did want more control. He might have, and that you know, that could be a false report out there. But I really think this <laughs> is about 
Amy Adams Strunk felt Mike Vrabel wasn't going to win a Super Bowl. She wants something young and innovative. She looks around the league and sees these exciting offenses. The Titans haven't scored 30 points in a football game since uh, late in the 2021 season. They went over <laughs> two full calendar wow. years, and it's going to be you know two and a half by the time we get to September without scoring 30 points in a game. So I think they just wanted a fresh approach and. It could end up being a mistake. You know, if Mike Vrabel goes to New England, gets to draft a quarterback at number three and has instant success, it's going to look really bad on what the Titans have, have done here. But on the other hand, if they get their guy and they have success next year, you know, with Will Levis and and a lot of draft capital and a lot of salary cap space this offseason, I think that was another part of it. If the vision wasn't aligned, if Mike Vrabel wasn't on the same page, are you going to let him have a big say in how you're going to spend that that cap space this offseason on what you're going to do with the with the seventh overall pick this year and then turn around if it doesn't work, fire him next year and you sort of waste this important offseason? I think that all plays a role in this. Justin Graver, you've said it all. By the way, ironic that if you added a czar in there, you would go from Vrabel saying, I want to cook and I want the ingredients. Then you have too many chefs, potentially. You don't have too many cooks either. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of stuff to figure out with the Titans. We know you got a lot to do over there at Fox and uh, uh, let's hit him with another grave digger because I missed that drop. I missed that man. Uh, and and you, you look healthy and happy and uh, you know, we miss you, bud. Thanks. I miss you guys too. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Good to see you. Love you, Graver. Yeah. See you, man. Love you guys. Iconic. Hall of Famer. Patrick, your thoughts on the situation. Well, and, and the one thing that I, I, I really want to try to figure out from not just Graver, but from the Tennessee Titans, because they, earlier in the week it was, well, we're not going to do the end of the year news conference until later this week, until after coach has this conversation with ownership and management. And it's like, oh, okay, what's, what's going on there? And I just wonder, is there a scenario where the conversation ends and Mike Vrabel is still the head coach? Because if that's the case, then that signals a major problem to me that you're just making these decisions in the spur of the moment based on a conversation right at the end of the football Like the season. malarkey thing, yeah. too, which I know which is, is a lot of Which sets, sets up, a, but it's still a pattern, right? If you if you go from these uh, coaching decisions, and it's like if, if these higher fire decisions are coming down to one conversation, then what, what are we really deciding? Right, and there was also a report literally six weeks ago that said Mike Vrabel is going to be safe in 2024 and beyond. That was from Diana Rossini of the athletic and that felt like it came straight and beyond that, that you know <laughs> something like that Forever. doesn't come from like an assistant coach that comes from the top and you can almost see you can connect the dots because the titans put it out there uh, uh, or we found out from diana on monday as well that they didn't want to do the trade potentially for mike vrabel because it could take a long time and they, they just didn't want to get stuck in that process and they wanted to get going with possibly hiring the new coaches. And then I watched this video. This is, I'm not going to say it's like Kremlin like, but it, it did remind me of a very strange situation. It was a five minute video yeah. from the Titans with Strunk yes. and a reporter, I guess from the team mm -hmm. had a bit of a PBS, like a uh, public <laughs> television vibe yeah, to it, it actually. It but I know, and I'm not speaking for this one in particular, but I've heard of ones like this. Those, those, she knows what questions is coming. That's basically like a press conference without being a press conference. She's going to hit the button she wants to hit to get the voice out there to the fans, which is fine. That's her right. I don't think it's crazy. But one of the things she stressed in that one was that exact same point, that she didn't want to go through the whole trade thing. She basically went through everything Justin was saying there. And... I don't, don't want to go through the trade thing. Like that, that it would take... To bring value to that it would take the organization? Too long. I, I don't think that... She, 
to be fair, I don't think the trade would have happened anyways because, like, Mike Vrabel has to go along with that, and right. it could be a big process. I, I don't know if he's going to – they would Drama! Have it just was all very uh, all very interesting. This was not a team that people thought of having great ownership uh, with her father, or was it her father-in-law? I forget, uh, but Adams, but either way, the, I think it's her father. It was a fun window, though. I, I, I liked that Titans team. I like – the window is kind of – Kind of ending the Brady Pats era was it? Who had the pick six? Was it oh. Logan Ryan? Logan Ryan to uh, getting to the AFC title game like that. That team was kind of fun to watch, even though they weren't the traditional type of um, air it out attack. You had Derrick Henry as the lead, and Ryan Tannehill is a really good veteran quarterback. And that window closed, and now they're into the great yeah, unknown like, without Vrabel as well. Yeah. Changes were already coming to the roster, especially on offense, but I can't really think of an AFC team that is set for a bigger tone shift than the Titans because they were very much Mike Vrabel's creation. Yes. And the players love him. They played hard. Like it, he's a tough one to figure. Cause I don't think he's ever shown. He provides any particular schematic advantage. Like the year he was a defensive coordinator in the Texans, they were kind of a terrible defense. They were one of the worst defenses in the league. Like even in Tennessee, like the numbers didn't say it. And yet you can see it on the field that they're greater than the sum of their parts. They're tough. They they play hard. They're, I think that the moment they'll look back on is that Bengals loss. And they were the one lead. seed. Yes, At they made home. the AFC championship. But the next year, they followed up with the one seed. That game was very winnable and they just couldn't get any pass protection and that essentially continued for the next three yeah, seasons. That was that special Cincinnati season. Um, all right. Let's move on. More to get to. Some head coaches who are safe, but their assistant. You okay, Mark? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some head coaches that are uh, okay, but there are changes beneath them. The, buy the, the buyers, the Bears fire offensive coordinator Luke Getze, as well as four other offensive assistants. So there is a, I mean, so much, uh, Claybon, um, of mis, uh, intrigue around the Bears right now, palace intrigue. Uh, and I, the idea is Matt Eberflus going to get a third season. Well, it certainly looks like he'll get year three, uh, but uh, they're going to do it um, with a whole new staff. Of course, remember defensive coordinator Alan Williams resigned uh, from his role earlier this season. Very murky <laughs> scenario uh, uh, there. So while Rappaport reported um, that Eberflus is likely to remain, remain the team's defensive play caller. He's expected to hire a true defensive coordinator per a source. And this is all set against the backdrop of the biggest quarterback decision in the history of the organization. Yeah. There's a lot of different places that the bears could go at this point. And I, I guess the Getsy thing seemed like it was somewhat inevitable as the question was, was Eberflus going to join him? And now if somebody else is coming in to bring over the defensive play calling, and then somebody else is going to be, of course, calling the offense. It's one of those things where we're watching league-wide. It's, oh, you got to get the play caller. The play caller has to be the head coach. Otherwise, how are you going to get these guys? How, how does that match with the idea that we're going to have a either a quarterback or this is Justin Fields in a, in a must-make-it situation? I, I just don't think it, it, it sounds great for the current head coach of the Bears as of right now considering the, the position he's in. Yeah, I think he's he's he goes into next year because there's hope in Chicago that there's pressure on him. And I guess like you when you go and look around at the available play callers out there, it is a bit of a like what are you telling that OC? Like behind the scenes, look at we're sticking with Justin Fields and we need someone who can design an offense around Justin <laughs> Fields and make him special or 
Uh, we might be going and drafting Caleb Williams or Drake May, and we need someone who can flexibly go design an offense around that. Because if you go and get like a Greg Roman type person to make Justin Fields the center of the universe, that guy can't go do the thing you'd want if you had Caleb Williams. So it's like it's a very intriguing <laughs> selection on who you pick here. You you probably keep your cards so close to the vest because you don't trust anyone yet, even if you have a feeling. And they probably don't have a final answer, although you would think Ryan Poles in, in his heart of hearts kind of knows which way he's leaning. But yeah, I think you pick a coordinator based on the expectation that you're going to have a rookie. The thing that has to be so frustrating for Bears fans is like, this is the exact same setup that has failed them multiple times before with this ownership in a row. So you, you kept John Fox one extra year after he was absolutely terrible, three and 13. They draft Mitch Trubisky. You fire John Fox. Then it's like a coach in Matt Nagy that, that didn't have him, blah, blah, blah. You were thinking about maybe firing Nagy with Trubisky. You keep him one extra year. You draft Justin Fields. It doesn't go that well. You fire Matt Nagy, and then it's Fields starting over again with a coach that didn't happen. And the most likely outcome here because Matt Eberflus hasn't shown to be a huge difference maker. It is a good roster, and maybe they will win, but if they don't, Matt Eberflus will not be here next year, and it'll be a coach who didn't draft the guy. It's just like they're never synced up, and it's always the same thing. In other news, the Jaguars melted down down the stretch of the regular season, uh, missing out on the playoffs. Usually when something like that happens, heads roll, and if it's not the head coach, it's the people right below them. That's what happened here. The Jaguars... Fired defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell and multiple assistants on Monday, the team announced. Uh, Doug Peterson had said earlier Monday that he was still, quote, processing the disappointment, disappointing end to the season. It was going to take some time before making changes. Uh, well, he didn't need much time. In addition to Caldwell, they also fired D-line coach Brenston Buckner, passing game coordinator and cornerbacks coach Deshea Townsend, inside linebackers coach Tony Gilbert, safeties coach Cody Grimm. Oh, Grimm. Senior defensive assistant Bob Sutton and defensive quality control coaches T. Mitchells and Sean Kalina. So they kind of clean out uh, a lot of the staff and uh, not a surprise. Not They're, a surprise, yeah. but they had different options. It was interesting listening to some of the, the local coverage. John Shipley does a great Jaguars podcast that I've listened to. And like they were like, are they going to change the, the offensive coordinator? Because the offense got a lot worse and was more disappointing Whereas this season, the defense, which is mediocre, did improve from where it was a year ago. Or could the GM, Trent Balky be in trouble? Because I think if you were, like, doing a blame pie, he might have a blame pie. the biggest Tasty. one. <laughs> but D Doug Peterson's an offensive coach, ultimately, and it's sort of the, the cleanest, easiest thing to just blame it on the defense. And, and their defense certainly struggled in that week 18 game and it was kind of sloppy with missed tackles throughout the season. It was a total team implosion. It was on both sides of the ball, but the, the defense certainly, I mean, it's interesting is Doug Peterson. One of the reasons that he ended up, you know, breaking up with the Eagles was in that final off season, they asked him to do this exact same thing, which was make major coaching changes. And he showed extreme loyalty and wound up leaving the Eagles for that reason. But in this case, um, it's you're right. It's not his side of the ball. Um, and there was a there was clear evidence that change needed to come. Yeah, especially well down the stretch. They they go through that run. There's the Jake Browning game. The the Bengals scored 34 points and they <laughs> they lose to the new look Flacco Browns, which everybody did. And they lose to the Ravens, which everybody did. But that the 28 points against the Titans 
where a few weeks ago uh, they blew out the Titans. It was 34 14. Mm-hmm. It just looked like a functionally different situation. And yeah, like Christian Kirk hurts, but it, it was tough to defend the Jags defense, <laughs> like the way that they played the, the entire season. They, they made some uh, key turnovers in some spots, but you go back when you're examining the schedule. It, it really just wasn't a good defense. The offense seemed really poorly coached, though, too. That in, but that's what are you going to do? You you could switch coordinators, but it's ultimately Peterson. They just got to button that up. All these interceptions where the receivers don't know where they are, they can't get a short yardage play. They they it stuck out more too to me the offensive coach. Think about that Chiefs loss where there were like multiple drops in the end zone, and it seemed to plague them all year. And I mean, I think the whole thing about Doug Peterson, it's Trevor Lawrence, and it like. He took a step back. I know he's banged up. He played through a lot of injuries, but it's like there was this incredible promise that Trevor Lawrence was becoming a top five quarterback, and we saw a lot of the old mistakes pop up. Did you see the reel that popped up this week on Twitter <laughs> of near touchdowns from Trevor Lawrence? It's like, I mean, we're talking, what, 10, yeah. 12 touchdowns that are plays that could be or should be made. or <laughs> And, you know, that's why I would not be surprised if with some tweaks to what they're doing and it has a healthy year that he's a monster next year. I'm not I'm not out on on Lawrence yeah. as a monster. Everybody's going to overreact like Dak has some picks at the end of last season. It's like, "Oh god, it's it's over for Dak." Like I think Trev will be fine. My question because for folks who didn't watch the game, of course, if you look at the highlights, it's Trevor Lawrence pulling the ball back on fourth and goal where he almost had a chance to score, but on third down they lined up with three guys in <laughs> in, in a row and, and ran this like spin-out pass that had no hope. And it's just like what? What was the? What's the plan? Like, but on that, on that, plan? like failed sneak by Lawrence. Like they, there was other tapes showing that linemen were, you know, because he changed the call. He changed into that play call that it didn't go deep enough where linemen were doing. Oh, no, the he right just thing. did it on his own. Right, he's done that before, but doing it that was on him from the. And he took accountability for it too. And I'm with you, Dan. Like, there's no reason to not believe in him at this point. But it was just like. The Tough progress. Year. I know, Dan, though, that luck, and this is true of all these firings, like luck is an uncomfortable yeah. portion of why <laughs> any of this happened, just like that you had some bad breaks. Um, if I had to call and execute that third down play, I would have tried to, to YOLO it myself, too. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, nice, some nice melodrama, speaking of palace intrigue, with the Giants, uh, defensive coordinator Wink Martindale. And I, this bummed me out when I heard this right before we started. They have m- mutually agreed to part ways, the team announced Wednesday. Um, earlier today, the story was uh, that, and the background was Brian Dable, I believe, <clears throat> came out and said early Monday, I expect Wink to be back. Then <laughs> they have a, a meeting <clears throat> that same day um, that uh, they had a conversation, and that's a nice way to call it. Uh, <laughs> Wink and Brian Dable, uh, and it ended with Martindale uh, cursing out his coach. And it was all about uh, the Giants' decision to move on and Dable's decision to move on from outside linebackers coach Drew Wilkins and def- defensive assistant Kevin Wilkins. Both had come over with um, Wink from Baltimore, and Drew uh, was like Wink's right-hand man. And uh, <clears throat> the Post reported that Dable was adamant about getting rid of Drew and by association, Kevin, because there was, quote, a feeling in the building that Martindale and Drew Wilkins were creating their own fiefdom, fiefdom, one of my favorite words, uh, within the coaching staff at times bypassing Dable and believing they had to answer only to each other and ultimately ownership. So Dable like sniffs this out or he perceives this, whether it's true or not, and says, hell no. 
and it ends with Dable cursing out Dable, uh, excuse me, Wink cursing out Dable, storming out of the facility, and then Mike Jesus taught on the Insider Show on NFL Plus uh, today, and he's saying the Giants are in a weird spot because he just stormed off and went to Florida and never technically resigned, and they also didn't fire him, so they they were kind of um, handcuffed a little they bit. They owed about, him $3 million. <clears throat> and it was going to cause a problem for the Giants, so my disappointment is that as a man who loves melodrama, but <laughs> can't talk right now, uh, that's all over because they mutually agree and, and wink. You're upset that it's been resolved. I like it. It okay. was fun. It, I, and I wanted, I wanted more, more dysfunction. Um, but Wink's going to get a job somewhere. But also, like, the head coach that hires him is like, damn, do I want these Wilkins boys with me? I don't know. It, it's, it's so funny because, like, uh, it reminded me of that book Collision Low Crossers that we all read mm-hmm. where – a big part of the drama between the Jets was that the offensive staff... By the way, drink every time Mark still brings up Collision no, Low Crossers. I, I literally actually like <laughs> ta- had a long talk with Collision Low Crossers with Pete Carroll way back in the day. Um, and he, and he drink. had a lot to say. But anyways, <laughs> like that... People should check it out. There are not enough great... Check out what? Books. Collision Low Crossers? Drink. There aren't enough books like this. I did order, and I have that book on my coffee table there because... What Mark- book? Collision low crossers, there you drink. yeah. Because Mark Pour was up. referenced so much, I literally bought it <laughs> two it's, weeks ago. It is real. There really should good. be yeah. more books like this, Greg. Because I they could have lent it to you, but good for the author. They Same. embedded yeah. someone with the Jets for like a year plus, and like you learn number one everything that happens to a football team the minute the offseason starts and what the coaches do. But it got so soiled because the offensive staff and you had Sanchez and things were up and down, obviously, and the defensive staff were they weren't even speaking to each other and they were openly at odds. And I think like. Bad teams, this is what starts to happen. And it's like this year's Jets and this year's Giants where you've got defunct quarterback play and you've got a defense trying to hold down the fort and Wayne Martindale is no wilting flower. I <laughs> I love it. I'm with you, Dan. I'm, I'm sad this uh, happened. Although I don't like Dable's move here. It just seems cowardly. Well, you, you, you have a press conference. You say Martindale's going to be back. Obviously, there's some issues here. Glazer reported on it three weeks ago or whatever it was a month ago that the, the two of them weren't getting along. You say he's going to be back. Then you fire his two closest assistants without having a conversation with they him don't. ahead of time. So that's odd. That to me is you're firing with Martindale because you know what's going to happen. So just fire with Martindale. Hear, I heard this through my reporting. A wink went into the office. He's like, where's Drew? Drew. No, he did not. Kev. <laughs> Drew and Kev. Wilkins boys. No, no answer. They were no. gone. And then, yeah, they and gone. then Brian actually, Brian Dable uh, goes in just from the hallway. They gone. They gone. <laughs> You're right though, Greg. Like it was a roundabout move. That, like this was the coach of the year a year ago. Well, and there are some reporting too. Like he, the Kafka is unhappy with how Dable has minimized him. He's the offensive coordinator. So then you do. Have to I like Dable. A little I, bit. I, I won't say I like Dable, but there just seems to be. Some well, problems. I just like why. Cowardly is strong, by the way. Isn't that part of this? This stuff happens all the time, doesn't it? We hear about this all the time, firing assistants that are connected to people. And then I only have, get so, them many, to resign I have, and, I only have so many principles, but I do feel like with him, the most important principle is just be forthright in yeah. important matters with people ar- around you. So that just seems like you're you're kind of taking the easy way out. Don't have a loud, passionate screaming match on national television with somebody <laughs> and then come out and be like, hey, you know, everything's fine. You know, we, we hang out. We have tea in the afternoon. Like, no, like we had a disagreement. We're not necessarily seeing eye to eye on a per- on, on on a certain issue, but the market, Patrick, like 
he's trying to put that out because anything you say is going to be amplified. Sure. Okay, it's well, one thing to lie to the media. It's another to, with the New York Giants yeah. <laughs> to not just like handle it with Martindale, you know, person to person. Are they gonna are they gonna get rid of the defensive meeting rooms? Drew! It, seems, it seems like Drew <laughs> as a fiefdom, right? Because I, I had to look it up. It's an area over which someone exercises control in the manner of a feudal lord. Mm. So are we gonna say like anytime the defense is meeting, like, wait, what are you guys talking about? Mm. I don't necessarily <laughs> trust you. Dable's like, Hey, uh, Wink, you wanna have a conversation real quick? He's like no, I'm actually just about to grab Drew and get some lunch. And Dave was like, nah, <laughs> no, you're not. He, he will not be having lunch with Yeah, you won't be finding Drew. You're just going to find Hang an on. empty office. <laughs> all right. And finally in the news, uh, all quiet in New England for the time being. So Vrabel's out. Hell, Carol's out. Carol coached the Pats once upon a time. Not oh, putting that together, but oh. I'm just saying that's that's history. Um, but a couple days now after Bill's uh, end of season press conference and uh, him mentioning that he was under contract uh, to the Patriots and all the speculation connecting him to multiple teams, including the Atlanta Falcons, no updates. I do have as the ATN media insider, I did get um, a quote from Bill. I know this is going to be surprising, very surprising um, because you know what, what Robert Kraft wants Kraft wants Bill to quit and, and then he, he looks good and, and they start over. Um, but Bill wants to, he's putting the heat on Kraft to make the move. Uh, here's what uh, Bill told me exclusively. Mm. Oh, wow. If you want to stop me, you're going to have to <laughs> f- kill me. <laughs> so emotional. So he's starting to open up a little bit and that's good. I think that's good that Bill is being honest with the media, just like Dable. We don't want to be cowardly. Yeah. yeah. So cathartic. Yeah. How, was it easy to get him to go on the record one on one with? I you? got him very drunk. You do. You do wonder. Yeah. Is is Robert Kraft making Jonathan Kraft uh, be the bad guy here? They did. They did. By the way, not enjoy that Pete Carroll experience the first time around. That was their welcome to NFL ownership. Was that? That was like forty two eons ago. Yeah. The Pete Carroll was a different person. Pete Carroll thing. I fully expect Bill Belichick to not be the head coach of the Patriots in a week or whenever it's going to be. Tom Curran, who I really trust more than anyone there, has said repeatedly. Who do you trust more, Tom Curran or your own father? Quick, 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 quick. About the Patriots? No, 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 no. Answer, answer, answer. My father. Uh, but I just, he's, <laughs> he's been operating like they made this decision. The decision is made. And it does make sense to me that there would be some, I think they want to have it be as, Kumbaya, as Seahawks have with Pete Carroll sure. right now. I don't think that's, it's not going to be that Kumbaya. Not style. But I think they're trying to to just manage it, and that change is, is coming. It's just not, hasn't come in the 48 hours after the season. And, the, and you look at Tennessee with Vrabel, and they decided not to pursue the trade route. And it does make sense when you kind of break it down that like, obviously that Kraft would love to turn this into a trade, Bill has no reason to make it a trade. And if, if Bill puts it back on crap, it's like, I'm not agreeing to anything like that. You're going to have to fire me. You can't keep me. Like you, if you, right. if you don't trade me uh, and you don't fire me, then you got to keep me. And meanwhile, the Patriots are trying to start over. And it's like, when is this going to wrap up is the question. Tom, Soon, Tom also believes it. Bill wholeheartedly really would lot wants to stay in new England. That is his, like he loves it there. He's been there forever. He believes he can turn it around. And so, yeah, he's got to go out kicking and screaming. He is not assuming that this is a fait accompli. 
Uh, and you never know. Maybe he could be persuasive, but I, I don't think so. I also don't think any team is waiting around for Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel for that matter on these trades. It's like Vrabel was six and 18. Like, yes, they would give up something potentially, but it's not Mike Vrabel three years ago off, off winning the coach of the year. It's not Bill Belichick 10 years ago or anything. You're saying that somebody who Weish was the same thing. I think Belichick is tremendous. Like, I think he's going to have a big market. I do too. I just don't think teams are going to wait around to send like a, a valuable draft pick for him. And if it's they're waiting around to get like a fifth round pick, it's like, what are we doing here? It'd be well, embarrassing to be traded for a fifth round. Pick. I'm just saying, like, I don't think anyone's giving up a first for Bill right now. We're like going through the hassle of it. All. And who do you call? Like, how do you make a trade for Bill Belichick? I guess the you other to, you team have to go has through to Bill start. first. You have to. <laughs> well, true. Oh well, yeah, you call. You got to circle circle around Bill Belichick. <laughs> call you call Jonathan Kraft. You call Kraft. Yeah, so that's but a yeah, ownership a thing. <laughs> You're going to have to kill me. That's interesting. All right, that's what's happening in the news. Eric, circling back to the Claybon theme song. Yes, any Claybon theme songs, or anybody theme songs for that matter. We got that Mark Sessler one, just got dropped in our lap, didn't really ask for it. It's a banger. The ATN Podcast at gmail.com. Do you have that? Do you have that? If you're going to mention it, might as well play it. Just to give you an idea of the creativity that we expect. If you're going to, <laughs> if you're going to submit, don't waste our time. I want actual musicians. I want real production values because anything less than that is a slap in the face of Patrick Claybon, which is fine. Not, like you could slap. And him. we're not going to go the day bowl route with, <laughs> with drew. Uh, we're, we're, we want to treat the man with the respect he deserves, you know? So the themes that we've had for Colleen and, uh, who else has base? Weish. Weish, Weish has a yeah. ton, by the way, Weish, um, before we did, uh, here's the Mark theme, by the way. It's so on brand. Hobart Curtis sent us in for us, guys. To hear my stuff, everybody can't get enough. Can't you just picture Mark in a club in Berlin with pierced nipples, just dancing? Uh, every one of those, all aspects of that story. I could see him at the DJ table spinning this track. Yeah. Like with the crowd going Just rolling out of his mind. <laughs> now I'm going, I'm going to the, on the dance floor, the pierced nipples, Paisley open shirt. Not not a, like a button down, but not no buttons. And he just <laughs> Nobody's touching nipples. A lot of slow motion. Here's a drop. So anyway, uh, before the Weish submissions came in, we... we actually spoke with Weish, like, what do you want? And he, and he talked about his wife, uh, Dee's uh, background, Jamaican background, I believe it is. And we get like kind of something with a little dancey Calypso vibe Caribbean, to it. Caribbean, yeah. Caribbean. Like what, what would a Claybon song <laughs> Oh, you're going to hate my answer. No, I'm going to love because it. Because if somebody's taking the time to make a, make a track about me, like, yeah. just, just feel it. What, whatever... Okay. I've ever said that means something to you or anything. No boundaries. Yeah, just just make. You don't it need a particular style. No, I'm not going to put anybody in a box. Like, hey, so you're I, saying I, lyrically I, go wherever you want, but musically, is there a genre that perhaps you would? I would prefer. I would prefer <laughs> control over the lyrics more than the music. To be honest, <laughs> we can't offer you that. We can't offer you that. We can't let you shop for the groceries. Okay. <laughs> okay. Someone's shopping for the groceries and uh, making the meal here. Yeah, but no. you'll have multiple to pick from if it goes. Yeah, uh, just, no, I, I didn't. I, I got one, yeah. but that's fine. I really enjoy it. They nailed Again, it. No, I mean that's one out of one. Yeah, they nailed it. No if, if you want, if you either. want a rolling sweaty glow stick track like Mark's, like that's fine. Or you could. <laughs> Doesn't feel right though. I don't know what it is. Like Patrick, there's something. Uh, People are gonna get the essence. They're gonna. Yeah, you they, know what? You know what? I don't want Like they, they know, they know him. Through the portal exactly. of the show. I was going to offer my opinion answer. on it, yeah. but I'm just going to let the people 
Feel it out. Yeah. Well, Look the at musical, a picture the musical people. of Patrick's beautiful face. Oh, Just stare at it. Well, and, and what does it bring to you? Like, and, and creatively, how does that get the juices flowing? <laughs> it could be a sultry song. We don't. Yeah, know. try to control yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Look at it, Pat Claybon's photo. I don't know if Patrick My is goodness. like a huge music guy. Yeah, but he's not, the uh, the people making the song are. That's, that's what I'm that's, saying. Yeah. But that informs why he doesn't need a right. specific genre or he's, anything. He's, he's open minded on it. To all of yeah. us. I also don't know enough to like because musical genres kind of get in the weeds a little bit. I just remember having a conversation <laughs> with you once. Yeah, with about me, and you're like, I don't know that much about music. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. What about something with a bit of like a Hooba Stank vibe? <laughs> no. Like more The Reason or Crawling yeah, in like the Dark? The Reason. Whoa. Okay, <laughs> I think you're, trying, you're trying to project wow. onto him what he I, wants. I to, had to share it. A, For yeah, some reason, yeah. like the, the reason. Something I, I'm, the I'm, I'm more Crawling in the Dark than I am The Reason. Okay, there you go. There's just one <laughs> direction you can go. And I mentioned looking at the pictures of, of Patrick. Be respectful. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I know yourself. it's hard. Right. <clears throat> Be respectful. All right, let's take a break. Oh, did we ha- did we say the name of the email? Yeah, that's the ATN podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> send them in. Don't disappoint us. We believe in you. And uh, we will send you a signed autograph photo of Mark Sessler uh, in the Levi jacket uh, for the, the anyone that submits a song that we use on the show. How about that? That means we got to send Mark back for another Ooh, photo engagement. No, no, I'll take it yes. out in the wild. And and that, I'm not taking it in the... evens the score, Greg. <laughs> I'm not taking it in the yes. corporate office. Yes. We're going to get you. No. Yes. Negative. It's going to be like one of those yearbook photos where they take you outside and put you up against the oak tree. That photographer was brought here for that window of time. She does not... She's not... Dude, in she's building. downstairs. She's part of the photo team, bud. You got to plug in on this office. I, no, you I think do we not. outsource that? We I do not team. need to plug in to the office. <laughs> We're going to have you come in on an off day, too. We're going to get your makeup done. I will literally drive to Canada before any of that happens. <laughs> Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. 
Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game winner ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my day. That's my day. La dee 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 dum dee dee dum. Award season has come. Everyone has awards. Why the f can't we have them too? Thusly, it is time for the ATN Awards, <laughs> not to be confused with the AVN Awards. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> I mean, one's more fun than the other. Yeah, and it's not this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, you see it everywhere. I, weirdly, we've never done this, and, and it's kind of something we had to rectify. We have never... <laughs> I got you on that one. You did. Got a Joe Coy over here. I was Pat, expert. <laughs> <laughs> Pat's been to many an AVN award. Hey, That's no. why. He's co-hosted them. You had a memorable patter with a Brianna Banks back in 02, I remember. <laughs> yeah, who can forget? <laughs> All right, now, let's get into it. It is time to share our picks. And what we did, we did it as a collective, um, a voting system that mirrors what the Associated Press does with the MVP award, which is uh, a voting that breaks it down. Uh, you get five votes and a first place vote is 10 points. Second place vote is what? Five points, was it? Yeah. And mm -hmm. then three, two, one. Three, two, one. Uh, and for the NFL, the official awards, which are announced at the honors and all that stuff, that is just for the MVP. But we did it for the other major awards as well. Mm. Um, so let's go through them all. And, and we had a nice voting body this year. Uh, it was uh, the three of us. Claybon was with us as well. Nick Shook, who is uh, another member of the ATN Hall of Fame, uh, the Sunday night man and beyond the pipe. You have... Um, Colleen Wolf, yeah, uh, also uh, turned in her ballot. Also behind the glass, Big Funk and Eric Roberts. Wow, that is. Streets are talking like should the, the producers combine to have one producer vote? You know, have they Ooh. have they earned a totally separate separate and equal vote? Um, well, I would have just bullied Randy into taking my votes. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to stand up for yourself and say Honestly, that they deserve it. But... No, no, of course we do. Okay. Um, but if it would have been one vote, I just would have taken the vote. Okay. That's fine. Okay. I got now developing we, news, by the way. I'm glad we learned more about your dynamics between the two of you. That was <laughs> fascinating. On her, her, her. My mom has uh, made a statement on the changing of the guard in Seattle. Oh, okay. Mom says, four-word statement, but incredibly powerful. Football just got uglier. Mm. Wow. This crush has been uh, decades, decades old, right? Uh, it started in, uh, Pete was one and done 
with the Jets yeah. in 94. So 30 years. And yeah, she's been married almost 55, mm. 50 years. I think. Fair amount of. Uh, Maybe that was a sneaky key to his uh, college success. You know, going in those. I don't, know how, I don't know how sneaky it was. Re- recruiting and <laughs> impressing the moms. Okay. Unbelievable. That salt and pepper hair will take you far. All right. Let's get to it now. Um, MVP. And it is. Oh, wait. <laughs> My dad also has now replied to a statement because I put Keith and Deb on the thread. Any phone call home is all also, they're always both on the phone. Oh, absolutely. Text, Same with my parents. Always yep. together. Yep. Keith has chimed in. Oh, no. Directly after my mom, another jet coach that failed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. It's a little competition there, sounds like to me. He doesn't seem too concerned. No. Um, all right, let's get to it. MVP, it is a runaway. My only concern with this, uh, and I shared this with uh, producer Eric, was that we're going to be a little too chalky as a group to what everyone else is going to say. Um, but, uh, you know, well, we're, that's where we're we can do get, it the right way. We can get into how we disagree if we want. Sure. With any of the I hope we disagree. Um, because that makes for good podcasting. All right, the MVP of the league in a landslide, Lamar Jackson, who... Uh, Got first place votes for every from everyone except for Shooky. Um, Nick Shook gave his first place vote to Christian McCaffrey. Lamar got seventy five. What do they call points? I don't even know how they do it. Votes seems like a point. Yeah, points, you, whatever. You can, you can call them whatever you want. Uh, second place, a little bit of surprise, I thought, uh, but narrowly edging out Dak. Uh, Christian McCaffrey got twenty seven points. Uh, Dak twenty six. Fourth place, Brock Purdy. And then fifth place, Tyreek Hill. So Purdy had 16 points. Tyreek had 11. And Mark, I really do think, I think I think Purdy might do, or I, I'm almost certain Purdy will do better in the AP voting. Um, but Maybe. I think it just goes to show you uh, there was that lingering idea of, of where Purdy's talents stack up to everything else that's going on around him. But also... I think that stage on Christmas night flopping essentially ended yeah. his chance. Yeah, I, I I went um Lamar number one and Purdy number two. Colleen also had Purdy number two. Um I, I think it was like a really unique year for MVP where like they all seemed to square off and duel against each other down the stretch. And I think that, you know, Lamar passed every test. He passed every test and did stump he you know, there's there was no real second place to me. Well also there's another forty er that outvoted you know, Purdy in the, in this voting. And I think that that's part of it is that reasonable minds can look at that team and think McCaffrey is the most important guy on it, especially this year. And I think reasonable minds could go Purdy. One, my big takeaway from doing all these awards is there are, are no awards, maybe the exception of offensive rookie of the year, but we could even get into that with the season Puka had that, that seem like there's bad choices. Like, I don't think Dak or Purdy are bad choices here. Like, it's not, it's completely reasonable to vote for them first over Lamar. I voted Lamar first, CMC second, so I ended up chalk with what we ended up with. But, like, even Josh Allen's, like, not that crazy. He ended up sixth on ours. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets in the top five in the in the final voting. I had Dak. I gave him my second place vote um, and Purdy my third place vote. Uh, but... Uh, I could have easily went the other way on that, but it was ver- a very clear the way Lamar closed that he, that he deserved it. And 
The Ravens are sitting on a bye right now as a result, in large part because of Jackson's incredible. You didn't life. mention the votes at the very end. Stafford. Oh, I gave Stafford a fourth place vote. I like that. I, I always like when some. somebody like it's usually a local beat guy and yeah. they're in Los Angeles. I like uh, that. Miles Garrett got a fourth place vote. I don't know who that, that was, was me. That was uh and uh TJ Stroud got a fifth place vote and then in a total stunner, uh Colleen voted your mom. Yeah, she got fourth. a vote. Whose mom is she pointing to? Your mom. Your mom. Okay, I guess it just it applies yeah. to anyone who yeah, asks anyone who hears. Yeah, it's, and you it's know what? Mom. Moms don't get enough credit. So Thanks. I, I think that was a great. Move That's a great well. vote because she's sort of quietly voted for millions of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, billions. 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 Colleen, probably more than millions. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Eric not only voted Josh Allen third, which I think is very reasonable. He made Randy put put him on the ballot too. So that was where those votes came from. <laughs> Twisted his arm violently. All right, let's move to offense. I talked him out of Jordan Love, guys. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, it's like a fifth place. Um, offensive player of the year. Now, this one it made me think. If if uh, how do the voters do with this? Because hypothetically, if you vote, you know, quarterbacks in the MVP rankings, do you just eliminate them from this entirely, or do you put them? But I did. I took them out. I took, I, I, took I, them out. I had the same question. It's like, why wouldn't I take like the second best quarterback that I voted for an MVP and just make him offensive player of the year? But I went zero quarterback strategy. Sometimes that. quarterbacks have won both. I remember Peyton Manning did it, for instance, and that's why I've always been annoyed by this award. That then you're the you're too the nebulous. MVP and if you vote, nature. well, it's also like if you voted them second, then I'll vote for the quarterback first. I'd say it's most valuable non quarterback. All right. With that said, here is the Offensive Player of the Year, and it's deserved. It is the running back of the 49ers, Christian McCaffrey, with 65 votes. If you're watching on YouTube, we got some really nice, nice graphics. Is that Big Funk on the graphics? No, that was me, guys. Oh, Robert. <laughs> Not only it was Funk, but Robert's twisted. Or <laughs> yeah, that said, was no. Taking it votes was. from Funk and now taking credit, too. Um, CMC got first place votes uh, from, let's see, everybody except for Claybon, who went with Tyreek Hill, and I gave CD Lamb some love. Uh, you know, I'm in a, in a love affair with CD right now. Um, but it was CMC finishing first, Tyreek Hill uh, distant second, 38 points. CD third, 28 points. Josh Allen, 15 points. Dak uh, with six points, which tells you, yeah, the quarterbacks are kind of floating in another world. Why uh, Tyreek over CMC, Patrick? I-, I was just looking at who stood out the most among their peers, and I don't think you could say anybody came even close to what Tyreek did as a wide receiver uh, this year, and especially those past couple when Tyreek was not 100%. And he was still dominating in many aspects of the game. Like he hobbles back on the field to make a game-winning play. Uh, it, it, that just that just kind of sent me over the edge. Not necessarily that. And I knew Christian was going to get some votes, and maybe there was some vote chicanery uh, with leaving Christian off of my offensive player of the year. You took him off entirely. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it didn't. Uh, it didn't help. You. It, did, it it did not ultimately matter. And uh, that's a strategy, though. Yeah, it's I like it's, that. it's one of you know. Weird people do it all the time and never acknowledge it. I will acknowledge it as trash, but I, I tried and I failed. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Does that actually happen? Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in baseball. Come on. <laughs> Ridiculous. All right, let's move to, unless anybody else something out there. I yeah. like that we both me and you gave Kyron Williams some love as a, a fourth place. A little pop. Here. What, what a year. 
What a difference maker for that offense uh, in Los Angeles. All right, defensive player of the year. Now, this is a wide open uh, year because I thought Miles Garrett obviously was uh, a leader early on, and then he gets banged up and, and production the production dips, so that opened the door. Could anyone walk in that door? Here is the winner with 68 votes. I don't like saying points. For some reason, it doesn't have the same. No, votes make sense. Yeah. Gravitas. Sure. Yeah. 68 votes. Miles Garrett wins it. Uh, mm. Mark, congratulations. Um, TJ Watt, even though he picked up a couple sacks there uh, before going down with the injury in week uh, 17, 38, uh, 38 votes. Mika Parsons, 33 votes. Max Crosby got seven. Oh, I forgot about Max. Sorry, but And Deron Bland with seven, <laughs> who had all those pick sixes. You know, that happens, too. It I does. Just started I, paying you know, attention. Yeah. Uh, I missed, uh, I missed uh, Zay Flowers, too. Out. Eric knows Sorry. that I was working on this, toiling right up to the final minutes, and there were... Oh, were there of, edits? I don't I don't uh, know how much he wants me to pull no, back we'll the curtain, just, but can, it was... It, well, no, what, was what happened? How many edits? I, well, I wouldn't <laughs> call them edits. edits. It was I didn't additions. understand the assignment out of the gate in terms of oh. going five deep with everyone. You wolfed it? So uh, he yes. gave me the winner, and then he gave me the top three, and then he gave me the top five. Yeah, matter, so it was a like process. An hour it, was like, it was like a reveal. Yeah, it was, okay. yeah. I, I wanted to make it uh, add an element of showmanship yeah. and drama to it, and uh, like the behind the scenes, that's the next level showmanship yeah. when it's just you and the producer private. Was he fun. wasn't asking for that. It was fun. Um, how did Colleen do with the assignment? By the way, great. One, huh? she, one, one, no one edits. Email. Yeah, one email. Good for her. And an extra year mom in there, so she was on on point yesterday. Let's see the way this broke down. Miles got. First place votes from Sestog, Connie, Shook, Claybon, Randy, and Eric. Um, I gave, uh, Greg, you gave him a second place vote, and I gave him a third place vote. You, you went TJ Watt. I went Micah Parsons. Again, I, don't, I think those three are all really strong. I tend to think Miles Garrett will win, but it wouldn't, I think TJ Watt has a, has a real chance. I think it will be closer. Um, yeah, I think it'll be closer than but this. But they vote. actually no, because they don't do the MVP style voting yeah. for anything other than MVP. Oh. So this is just one pick and done. But even right? then, it could. I believe yeah. when TJ won, won it before, I could be wrong. That was one of those years. Like he had less than twenty votes, but he had the most votes. Mm-hmm. And it, something similar could happen. Parsons passes just my. I think he's the best. And then there is some good numbers for it. Like he he does have way more pressures than anyone in the league. Uh, his pass rush win rate is significantly better than anyone. Miles Garrett is a strong number two there. And then it's a pretty big drop to, to number three. He Parsons faces the most amount of double teams in the league. He's beaten double teams the most. And so just trying to, I think TJ Watt would be a good vote. I think Garrett, who is my second place would be a great vote too, but just like pulling them apart. Once I saw those sort of numbers, Using- I was like, that was enough for me to just back what my gut tells me, about which is Parsons. by the way, why I threw uh, Aaron Donald a vote because his pop the hood metrics are all still dominant. He's always commanding all those double and triple teams and still, uh, you know, he set, he, he was setting the table for your boy, young Kobe, uh, this season. You think he's been better than miles Garrett this season. Like a okay. fifth place, but I gave him I a, you had I gave him a vote. Okay. I had Garrett third. I think, I think that really go Garrett, any, any of those three. Honestly. It, it does come down to, I think also just like the experience of watching football and the player itself. Cause it's like, I, I completely hear your argument for, for Michael and also for TJ. But I think like Garrett has been at a defensive player of the year level throughout his, throughout the last couple seasons. And this was just a little bit more of a special performance on a special defense. I like, 
I do actually like rewarding him. Like, it was one reason why I had him second versus third versus T.J. Watts. Like, T.J. Watts already won one. I do think that's okay to take into account. Like, James Harrison won one, and he was very deserving a couple times. And I and he kind of won it. It was like Pacino winning for Scent of a Woman or whatever. He won it in the year that I didn't think he should have won it, but I was <laughs> like, it was good that he won it. I, th- I thought it was good. So I think that's okay for Miles Garrett. Why not? Well, uh, in terms of my ethics, I give it to the best man. Yeah. All right. It's kind of like a makeup call, in which instance you have two bad calls instead of one. <laughs> you, yeah, but if they're all like, if you're just like breaking ties or whatever. But I you were so, okay. talking about your personal level of um, integrity when yeah. it comes to being forthright with people earlier. I just said which it. I, I wrote that down for myself, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I want to tell you, best man for the job. That's my credo. That's where I stand. Mark, you're next later in the show. I believe Miles Garrett was the best player. No, I but, want something more like a personal oh, like a, stance yeah. on integrity well, that I'll you have. I'll try to cook one up. I'm saying with <laughs> big life decisions, like firing a man, yes, I was saying that. Uh, important hey, decision. I'm not questioning what you Let's thought. go. I'm just saying I was sharing uh, yes. some ethics. Best I, man. I think we've all, we're all the better for it, Dan. All right, let's move to where are we at now? Offensive rookie of the year. This one was surprising. Hit it. Hit the... Uh, what is that called again? It's a drum roll. <laughs> no, it's timpani. That's what it is. It's the timpani. Timpani? By the way, someone... Sorry, somebody on Twitter gave me something really... Something to chew on that I loved it. Oh, here it is. From Hugh Robertson. People were wondering. Those people being me. What do you call it when you're strumming the harp? I would say strumming. but That's what I thought, too. Well, Hugh Hugh Robertson tells us that this... Hugh Robertson tells us that flourish on the harp leading into New Horizons Monday is called a glissando. Oh, (laughs) that's a word. A cascade of notes rippling into each other, not unlike the woes currently befalling the Philadelphia Eagles. What a beautiful tweet. Heed the call. Great tweet. (laughs) Let me hear that again. This Sweet is of the year. Of the a glissando. <laughs> that was multiple. That was glissando. Glissandos. When there's two, it's glissandos. <laughs> All right, now give me the timpani because it's time to announce uh, the offensive rookie there. This one was closer than I thought it was going to be, uh, but with 65 votes. You know it's the quarterback of the Houston Texans. He's getting ready to knock out Marks Brown. C.J. Stroud, the offensive rookie of the year for around the NFL, just narrowly edging out Puka Nakua by 10 votes, 65 to 55. First place votes for C.J. from Zuzzer, Greg, Mark, Colleen, and Shook. Second place votes from Claybon, Funk, and Eric First place votes to Puka for those last three names. Uh, Mark, it's Stroud, though. Stroud wins it. Yeah. Not I think, in a landslide for us. Uh, it was Puka has been incredible. He broke a record dating back to 1960. And from wire to wire, he was a fascination. I mean, for me, it's a degree of difficulty. Like CJ Stroud coming in and right away um, doing things that you'd expect a quarterback to do in year three and four and looking like a potential. Like, I, I thought an, at, t- at times, a 
possible MVP candidate and like shook gave him an MVP vote. And it's like Stroud has completely changed the organization. And I just think I gave that a little bit more value than wide receiver. I, yeah, I struggle with that because I would want to give it to a, a receiver if he was that exceptional as a receiver. He has a case to be made. Maybe not all pro because the only, but second team all pro the top four wide receivers in the league. But Stroud to me was a top, six quarterback in the league. So like if Stroud wasn't this exceptional, then I, I would have gone Puka. Like you look at some of the previous winners, Puka would have won it over Garrett Wilson. He Jamar chase is close. Uh, Herbert would have been close. Kyler. I would have said he would have won it over Saquon Camara, maybe not Dak. That was an incredible rookie year. Like it, it had to be a really special rookie year to beat up Puka. But I think Stroud had that year. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. These is this is one of those you look back and wow, quarterback who hit the ground running as a star. And then you can understand why people are tossing drinks in Charlotte because you had a chance and passed on that man. By the way, I threw Bijan uh, a vote. In I this. was surprised to see that. You know what, Greg, you had mentioned, that I think he finished over 1400 total yards and it was a lot of incompetence around him. And you had a fifth of, place vote. Yeah. And, um, in the play calling and I just almost a nod of appreciation that I still see you as a potential superstar. <laughs> so uh, thank you for doing your best in trying <laughs> circumstances. The, the bottom of the list was more mixed up. Sam Laporta was a strong third. And yeah, he would have been a good candidate in a lot of years. Jaden Reed and Jamar, Jameer Gibbs were tied for fifth. Uh, Tank, I assume that's not Tank Bigsby. No, I don't think Del. so. That's Del Dog. <laughs> Tank yeah. Dell. Yes. I, I don't know why I had Tank Bigsby <laughs> on their brain. Uh, Jordan Addison gets a little vote. A-Chan gets a vote. Zay Flowers gets four. There we go. Uh, all right, let's move to this defensive rookie of the year. This one I, I struggled with, but uh, here we go. Defensive rookie of the year. The winner is. <laughs> Just like the Jets last year, the Texans sweep the category. Will Anderson, the defensive end, uh, wins it with 63 votes. Uh, we have Jalen Carter, the Eagles uh, defensive tackle, 38 uh, votes. And then Witherspoon of Seattle gets 25. That's the top three. Young Kobe just misses out on a medal. 24 points, 24 votes. Excuse me. Um, I struggled with this one, guys. Um, for instance, I gave Will Anderson a third place vote. Um, and Greg, I see you gave him a second place vote and then everyone else, uh, gave him first place vote, except for, excuse me, shook who gave him a second place vote as well. Uh, Mark, what was your thinking on this one? I think Will Anderson is the kind of player that helped the Texans in every aspect of what his position is. Um, he was good against the run. He's a good pass rusher. He hit the ground running, looking like the guy from the start. And for me, I thought Jalen Carter and the whole Eagles experience probably tinged yeah. my, my thinking there a little bit, but um, I think the Houston Texans best draft class around. If there was a more cohesive and consistent defensive, not just plan, but effort from Philadelphia, it might've changed things, but to watch Will Anderson playing hurt towards the end of the year, like still impact the games. Whereas the Eagles defense is. Yeah. I us. see. I was the only one that gave Carter a first place vote because I was, kind of looking at some of the uh, production and then the analytics and his he, pass rush win rate and everything like that is his ranking is not amongst rookies. Um, he is already one of the very best defensive uh, tackles in the league in terms of all the generating pressure and 
and just being a cog in the middle of that defense. He's already a star, and I and I think I didn't want to penalize him because the rest of the defense is completely falling off a cliff. Yeah, I I thought those three players, and I would put Kobe Turner in there, were so close that I I actually you know I put some. I tried to figure out there is almost nothing separating these three guys. You could make different arguments. I I think for all of them, I think I voted Kobe Turner first. Uh, the producers didn't give him even a fifth place vote. I gave know. him a second place vote. Once again, um, <laughs> I just wonder about handing them this much responsibility. Oh, that's why you were so, oh, I mean, well, I didn't know. Ivan Pace gets third place and we, we can't get oh. Kobe Turner. Oh, damn. <laughs> and, uh, Kobe Turner plays interior defensive line. So he he only had eight or nine less pressures than Will Anderson. He was in the top 10 of all defensive tackles in terms of interior pressures. Now, Jalen Carter actually was like slightly ahead of him even too. And I thought, okay, is Aaron Donald setting him up? And then you think like, has Aaron Donald ever have a defensive tackle literally have any stats next to him? No. So that didn't seem like it's a, a really strong argument. There wasn't much separating all these guys. They all were very good in terms of their pass rush win rate. Will Anderson was probably the best run stopper, uh, but I gave it to Turner. Give him a little extra love. Claybon didn't give him anything either. Oh, and Yaya Diaby gets a fourth. Why do you? Oh, I, mean, I thought Kobe. I thought, Kobe. That's I, thought kind of I thought Greg would like Yaya Diaby. No, I like that one. I like that. That's fun. That Yaya you disappointed Greg. Patrick. Yeah, it's, it's Devin Witherspoon that Greg hates. No, I put him fifth, okay. and he came oh, in. Well, third. that's Brian Branch. I put branch. Uh, okay, so then four. leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, we gotta, let's bring this thing in for a landing. The coach of the year. It's the coach of the year. Very competitive this season. D'Amico. D'Amico Ryans wins it. Hmm. Uh, surprising. Uh, do we have the uh, voting uh, grid on that one? Uh, with 68 votes, Stefanski, who was my first place pick, uh, comes in a, a kind of a deep second. So you only got two 48. first place. Only you and I voted Stefanski first. And then Kyle Shanahan gets 12 points. Shane Steichen, 11. Dan Campbell, 7. That's the top five. Okay. Uh, Claybon, who did you have first? I, I had D'Amico first. Tell us why. And, and we don't have to go back too far where there's like a, a prosperity gospel slash comedian guy like surreptitiously recording meetings in Houston. They fire <laughs> back-to-back coaches. There's all sorts of stuff happening. And then D'Amico comes in. They have a candidate for offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. They're in the playoffs in, in a division that we did not think the Texans would win. I, I think considering all of that, D'Amico was the coach of the year. I, I, I really struggle with this one. because He was my second one. I think he yeah. fits. He, he checks every box. Um, I, I, I think the thing about Stefanski that, I, that, that outweighed everything else for me was if you knew any team going into the year would have five quarterbacks. It's an obvious argument, but like to survive all that and like really have bad quarterback play through 85% of the season and stay afloat, um, that's good coaching. Like, and I think that he also is someone, his demeanor, after so many years of wreckage in Cleveland, like he's just got this calm, cool demeanor and he's now won it twice and he's been the same guy the entire time. Well, we'll see if he wins it. This makes me think maybe D'Amico Ryan's. Well, if he he's won it here, he has I mean, not won it. I am up with he you. Win it's it a win. So yeah. It's a W. He won it with me, but like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was why we went over over unders the other day. There, the Watson thing was so overpowering that I thought that got in the way of like looking at the roster and that there was talent on on both sides of the ball, and they got uh, the coaching, the defensive coordinator was looked like an upgrade, and but what ended up happening was you lose. Watson, even that, even though he wasn't playing at a high level, 
you lose Chubb. And for them to somehow and not only line, the offensive line, the line, yep, you know, for them not only to survive it, it's not, it's not like they snuck into the playoffs at nine and eight. They had eleven wins going into the last week of the season, and then rested their starters. And I just think Stefanski deserves so much credit for that. And you know, with the Flacco magic, like Flacco deserves obviously the most credit, but Flacco was for the Jets and anyone else the last five years a very hit or miss proposition, usually a miss. And now he's playing like an all pro and, and Stefanski is an offensive dude. And I, I just, I think he does. I think this is his award. I'd be very surprised if D'Amico actually gets it. I think D'Amico has a chance just cause you know, they won six games in the last two years and that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. And I think it goes into what, a, what are you rewarding for the whole job of coaching? I think yeah. Stefanski did that re- exceptionally as well. Cause you're not j- judging him on his offensive production. That was a, that's one little ding against him is, as well as he's done making them competitive, especially late in the season, they have their 27th, 28th and like EPA for play and he's an offensive coach, but he was good at hiring Jim Schwartz and, and getting everything together. But I think D'Amico Ryan's, there is something that's that you can't even calculate. And I think Kyle Shanahan, that's why I had him so high too. I think I had him second or third and, and I can't remember who I had between Stefanski and Shanahan, but, uh, like the, everything that goes into it, not just calling the plays, hiring the coaches, like helping to bring in the players, everything in Ryan's changed that culture, but Stefanski has to. And so either one would be good. Yeah. I feel like this award has been relative to the expectations for a very long time. Right. It, Mike Smith won it yeah. multiple times. Come on. <laughs> it's like the expectations were low. Cause Mike Smith was the coach. And yeah, he yeah. Dennis Allen's going to win next year, baby. All right. Uh, good stuff. <laughs> Those are our awards. You'll get the actual, well, these are the actual words in my mind, but the ones that are seen as gospel, you have to wait till NFL honors uh, a few days before the Super Bowl. Um, we're going to be back on Thursday with uh, the preview of Super Wild Card Week, and I think it's going to be one of the most competitive and compelling ones ever. Um, so thank you uh, for listening so far this week and more to come. And Patrick, you've said it all. Anything I- to add? Um, yes. Uh, if the Saints started Jameis Winston next year and he lost every single game and had one tie, he and Dennis Allen would have the same win-loss record uh, percentage-wise. So there it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's good. It's a factoid. <laughs> That's a fact. Jack. All right. Till Thursday. Heed the call. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. 
Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 